Thanks for joining us for today's message. We want to encourage you to stop by NBCOcala.com if you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, or if you would like to support this ministry financially. Today, we're hearing a message from our series, Family Matters. During this series, we are discovering that a healthy relationship with God creates healthy relationships in life. Help me welcome our internet audience, would you? God bless you guys. Glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we had incredible uh, Easter last week and um, six services, and we made it through. I've had a lot of people say, how'd you do with that? I, I, God helped, and I ate a lot, and it was great, and, and um, so got through all that. We had um, close to 11,000 people go through, which was pretty awesome, but the greatest number, the number that excites me the most is... 114 people walked these aisles and made decisions for Jesus last week. It's pretty, pretty awesome. And then this past Wednesday night, back in our uh, Next Gen Ministries, uh, 34 young people made decisions for Jesus this past week. So well, I'm cranked about that. Amen. Uh, on Wednesday, we do something around here called um, church. So on Wednesday night, we have what we call midweek at Meadowbrook. We're uh, continuing in a two-year-long series called Believe. Simply as this, uh, what is it that we believe? Why do we believe that? Helping ourselves to be able to articulate what we believe. And this week, I'll be starting uh, a new section of this that'll go for a number of weeks uh, on something. I'll give you a systematic theology word here, a doctrine word, uh, pneumatology. Do you know what pneumatology is? It's the study, it's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, who is our helper. I do not want to live my life without the Holy Spirit. And uh, he is not a weirdo, and he does not make you a weirdo, okay? And, uh, but we're going to be talking about the beautiful ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. So you'll want to join us for that. And we got ministry of the whole family um, on Wednesday nights as well. Uh, one other thing, just so that you are in the know, after every service, we have people ready to pray with you for whatever you'd be going through. Um, no need for you to come and go and not be prayed with. So every service, there'll be people across the front. You can come down and just say, hey, I'd like, I need some prayer for whatever it would be that, that you're going through. Also on the weeks that we do not receive communion together as a whole congregation, communion is available to you. And just right after service, you can go through that door and we'll have some of our staff and dream team there to minister to you, going through something, seeking the Lord, whatever. Um, be a good time for you to just um, swing through there. And, and uh, the Lord's table, communion, is a wonderful way to, to connect with the Lord. Amen? Well, he is risen. He still is. Risen indeed. Amen? And uh, last week we had Easter, and this week we have tax day. And uh, just to keep you up to speed on some terminology here regarding tax day, let me give this to you here real quick. Intaxication. It's the euphoria at getting a refund from the IRS, which lasts only until you realize it was your money to start with. Okay? So, uh, happy tax week. Well, I want to dive into the series on family matters. Um, we're going to take about five, six weeks on this. Let's go ahead and dive right in Hebrews chapter 13. 
Hebrews chapter 13. I'm just going to read two verses here. Watch the wording very carefully. How many of you know that when you're reading God's word, it would do you, serve you well to pay attention to the words and not just, you know, zip through it here. It says, now may the God of peace, I want you to note that, remember that, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, we celebrated that last week and every week, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And the church said, amen. And let me ask you a couple of questions here. Pastor Ron, don't answer because you were already in first service, okay? Based on this, who was it? Who was it that raised our Lord Jesus from the dead? Uh, you didn't pay attention. Let's go back to the verse. Show them, show them verse 20 again. Now may the God of peace. It's gonna, this is not... This is, this is not without cause that that is in there. So I'm asking, who was it who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead, brought him up from the dead? The God of peace. It's significant that that is in there, the God of peace. And then in the next verse, the writer of Hebrews, and we're not totally sure who that is. Um, most say Paul, a lot say Luke. It could also be Barnabas or Apollos, but whoever it actually was, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, what did the writers say that this God of peace, what did, what did he pray that the God of peace would do in you? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? So look in verse 21 here again. and said that he would make you, that he would make you complete. So this is, this is incredibly significant here. It's the God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead, brought him up from the dead, do you think he would be able to do something in you? Amen. All right? So the God of peace that brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, uh, the prayer is, is that he would make us, that he would make you complete. That word complete in the Greek New Testament wording there means to complete thoroughly. It also included in the definition is this, to prepare, to repair, it also carries the idea to mend, uh, to frame, to reframe, to restore. So the God of peace that raised Jesus from the dead is able to do that work in us where he would prepare us. But I like this part too. He's also able to repair us. Now I've found over the years uh, that ministry is essentially, ministry to people is essentially two things. It is this. It is people prepare and it is people repair. And it is increasingly people repair. Now, people prepare is this. Teaching, training, mentoring, discipling, helping people to know and to see for themselves God's ways. Okay? Now, we want to do things God's way. Y'all need to perk it up. Come on, come on. We need to do things God's way. Well, what does that mean? Is he just bossy and just wants us to do things just his way? No, it's not about that at all. It's so that we can do things the way that he designed them to work. He's trying to show us what gives life, what takes life away, what actually works. And so people prepare is helping people to be able to see for themselves, learn for themselves how to do things God's way, the way that, that life is designed to work. Now, people repair the idea of repair. Why do you repair anything? You repair something because it's broken, because... Uh, 
it has damage to it. So it, it needs repair. So again, this would be the idea that we help, that we mend, that we encourage, that we, we counsel, that we rescue, that we retool, that we do those things. Why? Because there's damage. We have damage in our life. How many of you have ever been damaged in any way? All right. And so we have damage, uh, either self-inflicted or from others in some way. And, and what happens is, how do we get damaged? We get damaged, first of all, just by living life. How many of you know on the best day, you get dusty, you know, and, and maybe a bruise or two. How do I even get that? And, um, and I'm not talking about outwardly. I'm, I'm definitely talking about inwardly. So we get damaged that way. But you know else, how else we get damaged? Because we do things counter to God's way of doing things. And when we do things opposite of the way he says to do things, then guess what? His ways show us how things work. And so if we do it opposite of that, it's just not going to work. And so we end up with, with some damage. There. It, it would be kind of like this. Well, Kool-Aid is cheaper than gasoline, so I put Kool-Aid in my car. Can never have enough lemon-lime. Now, how many of you know on some level that makes sense? But not much. Is Kool-Aid cheaper than gasoline? Absolutely. Do you like lemon-lime? Love it. Okay, but is it going to work? No. And if you do that, that's dumb. Why? Because it doesn't work. And sometimes our rationale is about that crazy. Why'd you do that? Like lemon-lime. You know, and we ruined something. And so we've got to do what works. And, And this is not about religion and rules and all that. It's about how to find who the God of peace has designed for life to work for us and for us to fall in line with that and actually end up with his blessings instead of incurring damage. Amen. Amen. It is said that there are two ways to do anything, God's way and any other way. So all that being said, that relates to virtually all matters of life that we're going to do things God's way and we do things God's way. Why? Because that's what works. That's what works. When we don't do it God's way, and you all know this through the bumps, the, the scars, uh, all the things that we've all been through, we know that, hey, when we do it counter to God's way, it is about as dumb as putting Kool-Aid in, in, the, you know, in the gas tank. So this relates to all matters of life, but in particular for the next few weeks, we're going to look at it as it pertains to family matters. And uh, this is important because families matter. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and clear that screen, please. Family matters. Family is, um, it's ground zero. This is home base. It's headquarters. This is where your story begins, home. And when we have the uh, talk about such things as, as family matters in a series, I believe this, that a series is actually a season where God is saying something to us as a church. And so I want you to just lock in for the next few weeks here as we look at some things that I really, with all my heart, believe that God is trying to say to us regarding our our families. Now, let's go ahead, and and, uh, I need to say this to you, real strong and real important. Um, This is not a house of condemnation. Okay, This is a house of grace and truth. I'll say it again. This is not a house of condemnation. It's a house of grace and truth. 
It's not a church where I'm going to come and tell you all the things you're doing wrong and pile in on you and make you feel bad. You already know what you're doing wrong. I said, you already know what you're doing wrong. You're already forfeiting some peace and some confidence because of what you're doing wrong. Uh, Maybe the secret things you're doing wrong. You already know. You already know. But I just feel that church is not a place to be a place of condemnation. It's to be a place, a house of grace and truth. Because in John chapter 3 verse 17, the scripture says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then in John 1, 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Put all that together. God didn't send Jesus uh, to condemn the world, but to save the world. And when he sent him, he showed up full of grace and truth. And so what sets us free? Somebody beating on us? Somebody, uh, you, know, you know, putting more and more on us about where we've missed it? No, I think you come to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, along the way, we're going to tell you what's wrong. We're going to tell you what's right because here's the thing. We've got to know God's ways. We've got to learn God's way. That's people prepare and people repair uh, so that we can even return to God's ways and have what he intends for us. Can I get a good amen out of the church today? All right, again, let's go back. Who was it? Who was it that raised Jesus, our Lord Jesus, from the dead? Is the God of peace able... To make us complete. Just figure it. If he's able to raise Jesus from the dead, I think he is able to do a work in in us. Amen. So that being said, in Isaiah 32, verse 18, there we go. My people, who is saying this, the God of peace, my people will abide or dwell in a peaceful habitation. Who said this? The God of peace in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. I want you to see it again. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Question, do you live there? Don't answer out loud. Do you live there? Does this even resemble your address? Or it's like, uh, no, or partially. And this is what we wanna work towards here The God of peace, who's able to do a work to complete us, he is wanting us, he wants his people to abide, to live in a peaceful habitation, secure dwellings, quiet resting places. So let's let's look at this. Um, In Isaiah 32, verse 17, which is the previous verse from what we just read, it says, and the effect of righteousness, everybody say righteousness. The effect of righteousness will be peace. Who who said this? The God of peace. Okay, that's pretty important. Y'all here? I still need y'all to rev it up just a little bit here. You're just like, yeah, we're at church. I'm going to get rodeo man in here in a minute. All right. All right. The effect of righteousness will be peace. I want you to see this. Righteousness brings peace. And the God of peace wants you to dwell in a peaceful habitation. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result, notice this, the effect, the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Righteousness brings peace. Will you say it? Righteousness brings peace. It's the effect, it's the result of righteousness. So let's define a few things. Righteousness. What is righteousness? It actually, in the the Old Testament Hebrew, this word righteousness actually means, ready for this? Right. 
It means right, that you would do it right. What we've already established, what is right? I'll tell you what's right, what works. And what works? What works is God's way of doing things. And so when we do what is right, when we do things God's way, the effect, the result of that will be peace. Okay, let's identify and define this word peace. Righteousness brings peace. So if I do things God's way, are y'all with me? If I do things God's way, the result of that is going to be peace. The effect of that is going to be peace. Let's find out what that word peace is. It's the Hebrew Old Testament word shalom. Everybody say shalom. Now we just think of it as peace. Like, yeah, we're getting along okay. That's not, that's just the top of it. Okay. That's almost symptomatic of the rest of this super rich and deep word here. Shalom. Everybody say shalom again. So righteousness brings peace. Righteousness brings shalom. And shalom has to do with completeness. Do you see where we're going here? The God of peace who raised up our Lord Jesus is able to make us complete. Okay? He's able to, the God of peace is able to bring his shalom into our life if we'll just cooperate with him and do things his way. And, we're, and that works in all areas of life, but specifically we're talking about family and everything related to family. And so this shalom here is complete. It's wholeness. It's like a fabric, if you will. It's like a fabric, and there are many strands to it. There are many uh, strings and strands and threads that make this up. And you can't just take a handful of, of, of thread or strands and just throw them up on the table, and there we have shalom. It's all of this woven together. You, you can't have life just made up of just one little, one little thing, Okay? I always pick up trash and I'll put it, go ahead and put it in my pocket. It's all woven together. It takes time. Everything is interrelated. And when you do that, it becomes strong. It becomes beautiful. It becomes useful. I could cover something. I could wrap something. I could hold something. I could carry something. I could shelter something with shalom. And I want you to see this and remember this, that this is what shalom is. It's all these things coming together that makes for wholeness and strength and beauty. Have you ever heard this this kind of uh, verbiage before that the fabric of society is torn or frayed or whatever? And that's that's what we're talking about. The peace and prosperity of a a city, of an area is is like that fabric. It's shalom. And and what happens though is we want to have it this way because... Unfortunately, as life goes on, shalom can get torn. And maybe from the front, it looks, you know, we can go, how are y'all doing today? Good to see you at church. Yes, praise the Lord. (laughs) But if they saw what's behind it, really. And and I'll tell you what happened. Just life alone, you're going to get snagged on some things. And I got to go there. And then when you and I do things that are counter to God's way of doing things, we can actually tear the fabric of this. We we can actually help to ruin the peace, the shalom, the wholeness, the completeness, not just only for ourselves, but for our family and for our spouse and for our children. Are y'all here? Yeah, but I wanted to do that. Well, good for you, but lemon lime Kool-Aid is not going to get you anywhere. We're going to have to do what works. And God's commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. They're, ir- they're not irksome. They're to help us to know what, 
what makes life work and keeps shalom together. Amen. Amen. And so this has to be repaired. This is going to take some time and some effort and some love and some sacrifice to weave this back together, to mend it, to stitch it, to to repair it, to darn it. Y'all know, anybody know that word, darn? Not as in a fake curse word, but darn. Back when I was a kid, my mom used to darn our socks. Now we throw them away, you know? But um, I can remember I had socks that the heel was blown out. And another pair that the toe was blown out. And mom had not darned my darned socks yet, okay? So what do you do? You just layer them, right? Man, heels covered, toes covered, you know? You got it? All right, we're laughing right now, but you know what? That's what a lot of you do with relationships. And you're still blown out here and blown out there. And it looks like you've got thick ankles. You don't, you just have on like nine pairs of socks, you know? Because we're not dealing with stuff. We're not going back and getting shalom fixed in our heart. Can I tell you that, that when shalom is mended and restitched, it's beautiful. When you hear and see somebody's story and you see their scars and you see their trophies and all that come together, that's actually a beautiful thing that God does. Now look at this in in, um, Isaiah 57, verse 20. You with me? It says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no, no shalom says my God for the, for the wicked. Now, before you get stuck and think, well, the wicked, that's just, you know, a, a green lady with fiery eyes and the breath of death, some witchy kind of thing, wicked. No, uh, this word, you ready for this? The Hebrew Old Testament word for wicked means this, wrong, wrong, to violate. So righteousness, right, brings peace, shalom. But there is no shalom when you're wrong. What makes you wrong? When you do something counter, you do it opposite of God's way that he's designed for it to work. And that relates to every area of life and in particular, again, regarding families. This is a big thing because when you're wrong, follow this. You can't rest. Life keeps churning. The fabric is torn, and this is a big, big deal. Shalom is a big deal. We're very intentional about it all the time. We're teaching it to you whether or not we're seeing it in this verbiage or not. You know, what do I say to you all the time? Finding peace on earth. That's part of our mission statement. Uh, uh, Peace to your house. Uh, I sign every correspondence, email, letter, whatever else. Uh, Grace and peace. This shalom peace is a, a... an incredible thing, but it, it, it doesn't just fall on you. It, it happens because we do things God's way. And the God of peace said that my people will dwell in shalom habitations. That that wholeness should be in, in our homes. So righteousness brings that, that peace, God's ways. But listen to me on this. I, you, we can't change the rules. I, you, we can't just redefine things. 
We can't dumb it down. We can't lower the bar. Because when you do, you tear the fabric. When you do, you block the blessings of God and you forfeit real peace because there's no real peace. There is no real peace when you're wrong. You're not going to get good mileage out of lemon-lime Kool-Aid. You're not going to get any mileage. And you know, we, we do wrong to think that somehow because it's something that I want to do, something makes me feel good. Let me tell you, people step out of their marriage, step out of their family. And they think, I just want to feel good. And I'm telling you what you're doing. You're ripping shalom. And when shalom is torn and ripped, people and things fall through the fabric. Let me ask you a question. You want to, you want to feel good or do you want to feel right? And when you feel right, when you feel right, but I like lemon lime. Good. Just get it in the right place. When you feel right, you also feel content and you'll be connected to the God of peace. You have shalom. It's be- See, that's where we've got to deny ourselves so many things. We're in such a day, a, a day and an age of distraction and, and all kinds of things pulling on us, tempting us, and people saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, they're not allowed to say it's okay. It's God who decides what is right and what is wrong. Well, you sure sound old-fashioned. Hey, this is not old-fashioned. This is eternal truth. And you can't alter it. I can't alter it. And again, this is not a house of condemnation. But if I tell you the truth, I'm not your enemy. And the Bible says speaking the truth in love will grow up. Love is the license to speak truth. And I love you. Oh, you, don't, you don't even know me. No, I love you in this way. I love you with the love of God. And I love you also in this way. I want God's best for you. Amen. And so I'll tell you, allow me that. Allow me to just be able to tell you the truth on this. I'd rather feel right than just feel good in the moment. God's ways, that's righteousness, brings peace, shalom. And that's what the kingdom of God is. Righteousness and peace go together. Well, how many of you know, though, all that being said, that the divorce rate uh, of Christians and non-Christians is just about the same? How many of you knew that? It's not even close. And I keep hearing that. Well, you know, Christians and non-Christians divorcing at the same rate. It is not even close. And just figure it out. And I'm going to give you some, some research here in just a moment. Just figure it out. If we do things God's way, we will have shalom. And that's a wholeness to the material. Not perfection. It's not about us being perfect. It's about us having a heart that we want to do things God's way. How many of you know that God would bring shalom peace to to our homes? A wholeness to us. All right. This is based on research of sociologists. University of Connecticut, University of Virginia, the National Marriage Project. Based on the best data available, the divorce rate among Christians is significantly lower than the general population. And I keep hearing people, even Christian leaders who don't do their research say, well, you know, the divorce rate is just about the same. It is not. It is not. The factor making the most difference is religious commitment and practice. What does that mean? That means that people are committed. I'm going to do things God's way. Uh, couples who regularly practice any combination of serious religious behaviors and attitudes 
who attend church nearly every week, read their Bibles uh, regularly, uh, pray privately, pray together, generally take their faith seriously, living not as perfect disciples but as serious disciples, enjoy significantly lower divorce rates than mere church members, the general public, and unbelievers. Uh, Those who identify themselves as Christians but rarely attend church, uh, 60% divorce. Those who attend church regularly, 38% have been divorced. Additional sociologists of family and religion uh, suggest a significant marital stability divide between those who take their faith seriously and those who don't. Uh, Those who attend regularly, uh, attend church regularly, have a 35% less likely are less likely to divorce compared to those who have no affiliation. And it goes on and on and on. There are a number of things. Couples with a vibrant religious faith uh, had more and higher levels of the qualities couples need to avoid divorce. These positive factors are translated into actual lower, lowered risk of divorce among active believers. And, and there's, there's much more in here, and, and you can even Google and find things there. Focus on the Family has a number of of articles and, and uh, culmination of research as well. Listen to me. If we do things God's way, it works. When, when we do things counter to that, it's not going to work. Scripture gives us clear instruction. It tells us about our roles. It tells about issues that we will face. We can be better equipped. We can better respond to the challenges that come against the shalom, against the fabric of our lives and, and of our families. And that's what we're going to spend some time on over the next few weeks. Amen? Now, this is where I wanted to land today, right here. Maybe your home, your house, your family is just perfect. Look at me. But I doubt it. (laughs) But you're trying. It's better than it used to be. And you have hope for it. And we're going to learn and we're going to grow people Prepare and people repair. But here's really where I wanted to land today too is this. Some of you would say, I'm the only believer at my house. Or I'm the only one that's really intent or committed on doing things God's way in my family. Look at me. I want you to be encouraged today. Because you know what? When you're seeking to do things God's way, Scripture is replete with this. God sees it. God honors it. God will find his way to you. In Jeremiah 1.12, it says this, that the Lord watches over his word to perform it. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth so that he can show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. I'm telling you, he'll find you. He'll, he'll honor it. You may be the only one in your house, everybody else doing their stuff, and it's all contrary to what God's wanting to do. I'm telling you what, you are still, you and God, you and the God of peace are a majority in that house. And look at this, look at this verse out of Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, what does that mean? I'm doing things his way. He, God, the God of peace, makes even his enemies to be at what? At peace with him, even his enemies. And some of you, when I said enemies, you thought, yeah, that's my husband. (laughs) Hey, even if it's him, listen, when your ways, look at me, everybody, when your ways please the Lord, he, the God of peace is able to, 
Able to make even your enemies to be at peace with you. They may still be your enemy, but listen, when you're seeking to please God, God interrupts, God intervenes, and he makes them to be at peace with you. Uh, And they may not still fully love you, like you, whatever else, but they can't hurt you. They will expend favor toward you, and they will treat you as if they are at peace with you. It's a supernatural thing. 